And you're on 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice. And we're going to have a reasonable discussion with a very reasonable Samuel Chisichetti from A Reasonable Christianity. How reasonable is that? Totally unreasonable. <laughs> so welcome to the studio, Samuel. You're with, uh, with us today, obviously, yes. with, uh, with myself, Alita Robinson. Yes. And, uh, and the, the marvellous Mr. Peter Stanton. The legendary. The legendary Mr. Peter Stanton. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Samuel, today you've uh, decided to tackle a subject that has been sitting there for a while. Yes. Um, something that is very um, sensitive and something that um, can be very painful. Yep. And, uh, and something that we need to have the right perspective on. Yes. Um, yeah, so we, we, we get uh, different uh, questions uh, over, over time and uh, with those questions... Uh, we then get the chance and the opportunity to be able to tackle them. Uh, and sometimes, you know, some questions are a lot more scarier than others. Yes. Uh, the scariness of the question is because it's too difficult. It's sometimes, you know, some questions have got a lot more implications um, uh, to them. Uh, so, and we need to just look look at those questions with a lot of care. We need... Uh, to be a lot sensitive in answering them. But you've, you've already mentioned that without telling our listeners what is the question on the table. No, that's so. right. I thought I would leave them hanging for a moment. <laughs> right. Yes. So we're really looking at the biblical, biblical perspective of suicide yep. and what that actually – is it right, wrong? What does the Bible actually teach us about suicide? Right. Um now you've got me going really silent because of the gravity of uh, of the topic we're going to be talking about. Um, I think the question uh, that you're you know asking there uh, is quite a fundamental one. It has a lot of ramifications and it has a, a lot of assumptions to it. Um, let's start by uh, saying that. Uh, the first place to start is to always try and define the terminologies what we're going to be looking at. And so let's say, and which would be at least understandable by most of our listeners, that uh, it's a matter of end, end of life. Mm. End of life. You know, how does life end and, and the circumstances within which life ends? So I, I, I'll give you as a, as a Using abductive reasoning, I'll start with saying that life ends in a number of ways, okay? Uh, number one, there is life ends by natural causes. Somebody, we live, we, because we know we're human beings, we get old, and then one day, then we expire. Or we get sick, and then, you know, and, and then death follows from a sickness. That is called death by natural causes, and then there is death by accidental causes. In other words, something happened accidentally. And so the death by accident could be, uh, you know, driving down the road, there's a, an accident, somebody basically dies, it was, uh, you know, untimely and unintended, uh, or somebody was playing with a chemical or something, a gun, and then unintentionally goes off and then the person's uh, life is taken away. And so that is accidental death. And 
within accidental death, you also can have what would be, uh, no, I just want to go to the next step. Next step is, you know, death by homicide. Intentional taking life by someone of someone else. Mm-hmm. So it's called homicide. Um, and then there is what, what is called suicide, which is the intentional taking life of someone by themselves, okay, an intentional taking life. So they intended to do that. And in that category, we've got two categories here that we need to open up. Uh, one is when one does that intentionally by themselves, with themselves in a set of circumstances where no one else is there, and then they get found that they said happened. Or we have the second one, which has been actually codified in our laws now, which is physician-assisted. So when somebody wants to end life, and oh, some some, you know, there's, you know, you can even go to technicalities of, um, you know, physician assisted can be physician, uh, you know, implemented, or physician giving the whatever substance, whatever the, uh, whatever the, uh, um, the the medication is, and and the person administers themselves. Uh, so, and then the technicality there it says euthanasia and physician-assisted um, suicide, or physician-assisted ending of life. And so, those are the broad category. But there is another category where life can end in a conflict, where there is there is a war uh, between two warring countries, and and so you know, soldiers go to war knowing that. Their life might end at any point. They, you know, they are engaging in a conflict, ending lives, and having also the risk of that their, their own life being ended. Now, that part, that last category I've, I've spoken about is a, a category of what is called self-defense. Or, you know, you go to war to defend a particular set of values. So you'll have all sort of different theories, theologically or otherwise, about the justification of what is called just wars. Now. You see, I've started there to try to sort of not just simply zoom in in just the category of the intentional ending of life of someone by themselves or even when helped by a physician. Now, the help by the physician is codified in our laws and uh, in Victoria, for example, uh, mm. it's been codified. In, and I, I don't know whether there's another state here in, uh, in Australia that's codified that. And so I want to look at that intentional ending of life of someone wanting to end their life, whether they do it by themselves or they ask for help from a physician when it is codified in our laws. Because the underlying, uh, you know, uh, uh, causes the same, the intentional, the wanting of the individual to end their life and then they go up ahead and end it. So, and I wanted to just definitionally make sure that, that that's understood there. That's what we're talking about. When mm-hmm. we say suicide, we're talking about the broad category of intentional ending of one's own life. Um, and we haven't talked about what are the reasons why somebody might do that. Uh, but just simply the fact itself, the intentional ending of one's own life, either by themselves or helped by uh, by a physician. Now, this, this particular uh, topic, as you were saying, is quite a... A big one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it is very. Uh, it's it needs to be you know talked about with a lot of care, 
and a lot of sensitivity uh, because of the impact. I was, I'm just going to give you some some statistics um, because often when I get asked a question, that, that seems theological, just simply theological in nature. Uh, it's not as though I was just explaining to someone the Trinity and that's that. They get to understand. It's got, still got implications, but these particular kind of questions, they're not just theological. They're societal. You know, they're relational. They have a, a, an across-the-board impact. So a theologian uh, must be able to look at those questions and look at it with a sort of a, a great deal of analysis that is not only theologically philosophical, but also pastoral. Right, yes. It must be. If mm. it is not pastoral, then, then you know, it's, it, it won't uh, have, it will not communicate the message of the gospel in the most appropriate way. So I want you to bear with me uh, because it's a big topic and it might take us this Sunday, next Sunday to cover. Okay? So that's why I don't want to rush into this. I want to make sure that you are, you know, our listeners are patient with us. But let me sort of show you the gravity of uh, where we stand, at least in Australia. Nine Australians, nine Australians every day, nine Australians every day take them online. Nine Australians every day. That's more than double of what we actually have as the uh, road toll, the death by, you know, accident accident yeah. on the road. Mm-hmm. So that's quite significant. Uh, for a country of 25 million people, uh, nine people taking their life every single day. So you can do the, cal- the calculation. Uh, it's actually 3,000 or so people. 3,300, according to statistics in 2000, and I was looking at the statistics on Lifeline, um, and uh, the uh, Australian uh, Institute of Public Health, I think, uh, 3,318 people in a year, 2019. And I'm sure with the 2020, uh, especially with the pandemic and so on and so forth, the stats will be a bit high, a lot yes. higher. And so, uh, so that, that's 75 of those who take their own life, are male. 70, 75% of those of those who take their life every year are men. Mm. And over 65,000 Australians make a suicide attempt every year. And, and it's not only the third lady leading cause of premature death, from injury or disease. So you've got injury or disease, then suicide, number three. And it's the main cause of death for Australians between 15 and 49. Wow. Yeah. Now, that is young people. sobering. Mm. That is sobering. And if you go into the sub, sub, subcategories, for example, for Aboriginal Torres Strait Islanders, are people the suicide is twice higher than their non-Indigenous counterpart. Now this this is sobering. In people in rural Australia are twice more likely to die by suicide than people in big cities. Really? Yeah. And you know, people of you know gender diverse LGBTI community members are significantly experience significantly higher rates of suicide than the rest of the population. I'm giving this so that you can see the gravity of the data we're looking at. For each of this life lost, the impact felt is at least, for one person, the impact is felt by at least 135 people 
who are these people? The impact is, you know, is grief around suicide can be complex. Many people struggle to understand the reasons why the people, their loved one dies. They may feel guilty for not recognizing the signs or for what they might have said, you know, feel that they have failed as parents or partners, siblings, and friends, you know, to do something. They could have done something. And so, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, many people grieve when it comes to suicide, mostly mm. alone. And so, Sometimes if we're going to ask a question, we've got to size up. And I haven't given all the statistics. I think, you know, we will have, you know, a few more statistics before I start then to sort of look at what can be said about this topic. All right. Well, we're going to have a little listen to Evelyn Cormier with a song, In the Garden. Let me be worth more than riches and Let him build a home on solid ground and lead me Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone We weren't made to be
You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and we're discussing uh, end of life. We're discussing uh, various reasons why uh, life would end, yep. one of them being um, the taking of one's own life, mm. which we call suicide, yep. and you're just about to just expand a little bit more on the basis that you want to work from as we talk yes. through the subject. Yes, exactly. And, and so, um, as, as I was saying there, we... I was looking at the statistics, and and I hadn't actually finished you know, all the stats we we have uh, you know at our disposal. Here's another one: um, males aged 85 and older, so experience the highest age-specific rate uh, rate of suicide. So when it comes to the age-specific, in terms of people who take their own life. Within a particular age bracket, people 85 and higher have actually the highest rate within the subgroup. So if you take the rate of all the 85s and older, just that as a subgroup, and then you compare it to, let's say, you know, 80 to 70, 60 to 50, in that category alone of that age group, the 85 and higher experience the highest of the subgroup. And so, and I did also talk about the people of, you know, uh, same-sex attracted. Same-sex attracted Australian are estimated to experience up to 14 times higher rate of attempted suicide than their heterosexual peers. So one in four Australians are lonely and have no one to speak to. So this is Lifeline's appeal that if you're struggling with this topic, just just talk to someone, yeah, okay? Exactly. Talk mm-hmm. to someone. Ring uh, a lifeline. You know, seek help. Talk to someone uh, so that you don't have to suffer. Uh, you know, in uh, in silence there by yourself. Well, always when you talk to someone, it takes the sting out of everything, doesn't it? Yes, it mm. does. It does. And so uh, that's preliminary starting, so you can see. So, but what are what are the the uh, you know the question will be what causes what could be possibly the cause. Um, there are um, a number of, um, you know, causes that could be uh, identified, but most psychologists and uh, psychiatrists who are experts in the field will always say that this is very, very complex, mm. very, very complex. Uh, there was this sort of um, general thought that it could just be due to, you know, mental ill health. Uh, you, you notice I haven't said mental illness because it's become a bit more of a sort of a negative term. Uh, but it's actually so complex that 50 to 65% of those who take their own life don't have any history of m- mental ill health. So either it was there misdiagnosed or there is more, not just simply mental ill health. So, but at least here are the few things that we can uh, identify. Stressful life events, uh, trauma in, uh, in all sorts of uh, different forms. Yes, mental ill health, physical ill health, which then, you know, affect our, you know, the mental ill health. Then uh, drug and alcohol abuse or sometimes poor living circumstances. And, and it seems like oh, most of these things can be prevented or they can at least be dealt with uh, so that you know, a person doesn't have to take their own life. But very often uh, when people start to, to do suicide ideation, uh, nobody would know. Um, 
you know, I'm talking about this uh, because I myself, I have attempted. Uh, you know, it might come as a shock to uh, a, a lot of people. When I was in my 20s, uh, I did um, actually plan an attempt to take my own life. And, uh, and it took the grace of God to pull me back from there. Uh, mm-hmm. Those who have heard my testimony before uh, know that I had actually planned everything. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. And, and it took a, a, a sol- solid, I was isolated from everyone. And nobody was going to know that it was it had happened until probably they find me just there and gone. And it took the voice of God to loudly say to me, don't do this. And And I heard and I listened. So I heard, listened. And I was not convinced to not do it, but I took a pause and got out to get a breath of fresh air and then, you know, come back and then do it. And and it's on getting out. Then I met a friend who then uh, became instrumental to leading me back to Christ because I'd gone through from being, you know, a Christian at age 15, left at age 17, then became an atheist. So in my early 20s, that's how... I, I would I would not have been here right now. That would have been a great tragedy. Yes, it would have been. Yes. It would have been. I recognize that. But it's so, so you can see that this can, anyone, mm. any one of us can find themselves within set of circumstances that might get them to sort of go to that point there. So if anybody has got that kind of suicide ideation, they don't have to think, oh, I'm pathetic. Why am I having this kind of thing? That's That is further self-isolating. Mm. Instead of going, I'm sure a lot of people struggle with this. Let me just seek for some help. And you'll be amazed that even the people that we think are the strongest uh, still have themselves um, a a lot of struggles there. Now, okay, having said that, now let's look at these causes here that we've looked at tells me one single thread we can find. Uh, the single thread we can find is what is our response to life challenges? Mm. Okay, for example, life stressful event. So an event happened and stress, stress ensues or stress follows the event. And the stress that happened is often the way we have thought about or responded to that event. Why am I saying this? I don't want to minimize anything. I'm trying to say you can put two people in the same set of circumstances and they can definitely respond very differently. Okay? Can respond very differently. And some might be said to have biological resilience to a particular set of events, but very often it is a set of thinking, the set of thoughts, the set of mindset we have that then leads to whatever response we have in life to uh, challenges. Now, so if I want to basically say it in biblical terms, it is that 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 all the text that goes as a man thinks or thinketh. If you go into the King James 16th century, which used to be my, my most favorite version, mm-hmm. as a man thinks in his heart, so he does. This is another way that the, uh, I think it's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where the Good News Bible says, watch out the way you think because your life is shaped by your thought. Mm, yeah. So what we think determines what we do. Sometimes we might even have thought that we don't know that we do have. 
okay? So subconsciously. And so what we think determines what we do. And the source of our thinking is then what becomes what we need to investigate, okay? Why am I saying this? Let me just... I wonder if everybody give me a lot of grace there. I was thinking about this uh, this particular, uh, something related. Uh, before I start answering all deep questions, I want to make sure that I dig at certain things. I was thinking that if you notice, we in the West lived in, 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 in Australia for 10 years, going 11 now. I lived in, in the UK for five. So about 15 years, going nearly 16. Uh, so. What I'm uh, saying that um, when you look at us, we have a lot we have a lot. No yes. one can deny the fact that we're tremendously blessed. Yeah. Okay. Tremendously blessed. As compared to the background, Africa, where I came from. You know, life is hard. It's very difficult and so on and so forth. I mean, that's the life I grew up with. And, but you notice that we have a lot of physical suffering there. And, and just bear with me on this one. And, and yet, if you go to Africa, the, we, we don't have, there's no market for antidepressant in Africa. Okay. It's just not there. Because mm-hmm. if it were, every African, pretty much, every African would take antidepressant, would have to. And yet, I mean, I'm not saying something glorious about the Africans. I'm just simply observing a fact mm. that people in such terrible states and conditions, like the one I grew up in, we somehow, you know, just... The resilience to go through it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah to and bear whereas, with it, to bear yes. that. Yes. And then when when you come here, we have a lot. And then, you know, there is the highest rate of, you know, depression is among our teenagers. Mm. Okay. We are living at the, the highest technological advancement, this in human history, with mobile phones, with technology, internet, and everything else. So that's the data. The data that I look at tells me that, there are certain way we think about life that might have shifted, that might have had a certain impact on the way we see life. Now, our thinking is often a product of set of things. Our, our environment directly, if you grew up in a particular family and you were taught certain things must be responded to a certain way, that's all you're going to respond to. Mm. Then there is the cultural Okay, there's a cultural way we think about things. And that cultural way we think about things then affect how, how we think and what we do. And then there is, for a Christian, a theologian, you know, there is a thinking that must be theological. It's centered on what the Bible teaches. Now let me say that again. When the first of the situation, one needs to respond. And in responding, one can respond in two ways. You can respond in the way you are habitually, you habitually respond as a group. You know, we Australians do this. Yeah. We Australians do that. And, you know, I've given this example. We Australians avoid confrontations at all costs until it boils to the, you know, we can't bury them. We explode and that's that. Mm. Okay. So if you go to my background, for example, in Congo, we say we face confrontation. If I've got an issue with my brother, I've... I'm going to knock on his door early morning. I'm going to say, let's sit down. You and I, we've got an issue. Let's talk about this. We will yell at each other. We'll be screaming at each other. And then when we finish done all that, and we give each other the hug and say, the land starts loving for me. So the dirty laundries get washed yeah, yeah, yeah. in the family, right? Yeah. And so 
I, I mean, what I'm, I'm not. I'm just trying to highlight the difference in thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are things that we Australians have a way of thinking that is. Uh, Australians are very, you know, giving, resilient, but also rule keepers. We really keep rules, and if somebody was breaking the rules, the first people that are going to police, it's it's the Australians themselves. Hey, mate, no, do, do the right thing. If you come to my country over there, no, nobody's going to. Uh, you does the wrong thing. Okay, well. They don't say nothing. And then they probably more like to go, but he did it, so I'll do it too. Oh, really? You see, yeah, but that's what I'm, you see, difference in mindset. Yeah. And so for the, for most of us Australians, we will be, uh, you know, a lot influenced by our cultural ways of responding to event. And, but for the believer, the Bible believer, which I'm going to get to, our philosophy, that's what I say, way of thinking. Mm. Our philosophy can be cultural, mm. but our philosophy can also be theological. Okay? So that's where I'm going to start. And, and then I'm going to sort of open up. Is there something to our way of thinking about life that might give us the kind of response we have about it? Fantastic. Okay, well, we're going to listen to Young Oceans as they sing, Come to Us, O Lord.
We're back. Samuel, um, you're just about to talk about some of the cultural uh, influences or, or the way that we look in, in various cultures, in mm. our culture, and maybe comparing others and, and what the biblical culture, uh, yes. what that looks like too around life, the worth of life, yep. how we should be viewing life yep. and, and the things that we go through in life uh, to protect us from that particular uh, going down the path mm. of, of taking your own life. Thank you so much. It's sort of a really nice way of, you know, summarizing it there. I like that. So where we're at now is we're looking at if the stress and events of life then leads us to decide to end it. The question, uh, it, 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 what is rising from this is what is the value of human life? Okay, pardon me, what is the value of human life? And whatever we think about life and its value becomes the philosophical foundation upon which we end up acting toward it, mm. right? Yeah. And so uh, you know, I, I could give you a bit of a quick survey of you know, our ideas change with culture. You know, things like in our in our culture today, most of it, most of the way ideas that become to become to become espoused uh, are espoused for a, a number of reasons. Number one, because we're a democratic society. If a lot of people start to think and believe that way, then we think, well, look, the majority thinks this is right. Therefore, yes, okay, that's one way. The other way is from the influencer of cultures, celebrities, and people in high places think this is right, therefore it is right. So what I'm trying to say is a philosophy of a culture can be determined by forces within itself, right? Forces within itself. Or a philosophy of a culture can be determined by a an external factor. Let's say a culture watched and not a culture do things in a certain way. This is happening to Africa, at least in terms of, you know, how third world countries look at first world countries, and they go... Well, you know, these cultures, they do things this way. It seems to be working really well. Therefore, we better adopt their thinking on this. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is the evolution of a philosophy or, or in a culture could be intrinsic within itself, from within, or it could be influenced by external things. And further on, it could be influenced by a even more external immaterial force. Like we had cultures... In the West, the Western culture was generally from the time where the Roman Empire, you know, the Greeks and the Romans, and then the influence of Christianity started to come in, and then Christianity and the theology of the Christian faith became the influencer of how people thought within this culture. Mm. And right now, over time, we are observing the pushing out of that Judeo-Christian thinking out of the culture, because it used to be, oh yeah, well, let's keep it to yourself, to now, well, if you think that way, there is something wrong with you, and you should either be silenced, or you should be punished, 
with the intention that you should actually quit thinking that Judeo-Christian way so that you can think the our new secular humanistic way. Mm. All right. So mm. if I can say that our culture now is its foundation is still holding on to some of the Judeo-Christian worldview ideas, but the culture itself has become a lot more secular humanist. Yeah. Okay? And so I've talked about secular humanist here before, and, and so anybody want to, can go and find the podcast. It's, there's a lot of material covered. So what is the ideas that have basically made our, our lives and what we think about the value of life as a secular humanist society? Here is the two differences, and I want to establish this because it's extremely important. Number one, the ideas that built our society was Judeo-Christian worldview. But I'm thinking, let's start by the ideas we've accepted now, then I'm going to go to the Judeo-Christian worldview so you can see. The thinking of our culture today is that human life and human worth Yes. Yeah. Is grounded first and foremost in the human themselves. Mm. Okay? My life is worth what I think it is worth. Right? Yeah. So my life is what I think it is worth. And that is actually called instrumental value. Why? Because I have to be here first to not think of me. And my worth is I attribute it to myself. Yeah. It is a relative value. It's a relative value. So that if you thought of me less than I think of myself, now if there is two or three or four of you who think of me less than I think of myself, guess what would happen? It would undermine your thinking. It will start to affect mm. my thinking yeah. of what I think of my worth because I started with this nice idea that, no, I am valuable because I'm a human. Why? Just because I'm a human. And don't let anybody put a price tag on you. You put your price tag on yourself. This has become a dominant thing, whether it's Oprah Winfrey on, on the, uh, or, or these all big figures. Yeah, They'll say to you, Look, don't let no one determine your worth. You determine your worth. They don't realize the consequence of that is when you determine your worth, you can come very much short because there will be people who will have a lot more louder voices and louder influence who might say to you, oh, too bad, you're not as worth as much as you think you are. And so now you start to measure yourself with someone else. Yeah. Relative values, so somebody says, are we rich, are we poor? Well, relative to what? So this, this is what is called instrumental value. Now, it's, it's good to note, if, if we note this, we will see you know, what I mean. And, and the way we do it, and then we go to go right. So if we have instrumental values, how can we then get to a place where our entire society at least agree that this person has got some sort of value that everybody agrees on? So these relativistic values start to shift. Okay? Here's one. You're valuable as far as you are producing something. Yes. You have an economic value. Mm -hmm. We ask the question, how much worth is he or she? 
I am sure that the person who sits on the street, who's got no house, no no belongings, you know, is you know the the person he or she, you know, is um you know you know the dirty clothes on and, and and stinking and stuff like that. We might, because we're still holding on to some Christian worldview values that I I'm going to talk about. We might still think, well, they're human beings; they should be valuable. But faced with the way we act toward them, you see, they say you know somebody's thinking when you see their action. Uh, the way we say is people talk the talk and yeah, walk the walk. Talk, yeah. Somebody can talk all the talk they want. Put them in the situation and see them react. So if the person who's on the street just walked into well-to-do restaurants, I and everybody who's sitting there are sort of, you know, they're worth a million dollars and, and they drive expensive cars and this person just walks in. Do you think people go, oh, yeah, come on, mate, how are you? Sit down with all this stinkiness. No, people are like, oh, you don't belong here. We're happy to have it. Stay far away over there. Because you are worth how much you earn and what is your external presentation. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that is the instrumental value here. The instrumental value is the economic value. We can have a social value these days is popularity contest. How many followers do you have on Facebook, <laughs> on funny. Instagram? Yep. You, know, you, know, what, what, you know, how many people how many people do you have following you on TikTok? Mm. Most of our young people, they most of the stress and the distress and the depression and the struggle is always that. Mm. I have two friends. What if that friend reject me? What are those two friends? What if I find myself on the on the outer? So my value and my worth is therefore relatively set by the society within which we live. And the aim of it all is to maximize my happiness. Mm. Maximize my happiness. And the very idea of happiness itself is a very fleeting idea. What is it to be happy? Is it to have a lot of money? Have we ever not come across people who are worth millions and we're still unhappy? Yes. Is it because we're married and we have kids? Have we not come across people who are actually married? Everything seemed honky dory, they have kids, and yet one day they felt so depressed in themselves, they felt so, so worthless that they ended up taking their own lives. Mm. It is because our culture has accepted the idea of instrumental value. Mm. You are worth that which you determine. You are worth that which others place value on you. And so that becomes basically how we determine our worth in this secular humanistic society. Mm. And so, you know, it's the degree of, you know, it's to say that is like you are a mean to an end, right? You know, uh, you know, that kind of value means a human life is a mean to an end. Mm. This is why if the person loses certain things that will be termed in our society, how beautiful are you? How, what's the beauty of your faith? Have you seen how the plastic surgery industry is basically sort of exploded? Or the person who thinks I'm valuable as long as I can play, you know, uh, you know, footy, yeah, sport, sport yeah. and and one day if they lost, they they become quadriplegic, uh, and they start to think, well, what's my worth now? Mm. I was worth the gift that people celebrated, right? And this is the danger of trying to ground human worth instrumentally. Mm. I mean, to an end. Mm. Here's a Christian worldview in two minutes. 
Easy, simple, straightforward. There is what is called intrinsic value. It's not instrumental, it's intrinsic. Mm. And intrinsic value is the value that is within the thing itself, and the value is not determined by the thing, but it's determined by something else outside of it that is absolute, mm. that is dependable. And so in that sense, the Christian worldview teaches that human beings have got an intrinsic value. They're human and they're valuable not just because they could determine their own worth and value. It's because God determines the worth and value. How does he determine? Because they are a piece of him. God is the ultimate. is the absolute. And therefore, he puts his image on the humans. Yeah. And because they are his image, they are valuable regardless of what other human beings think or say about them. I want to open this up. But I'll open it up as we, uh, as we go. That'll be, <laughs> That'll be terrific. Well, we'll look forward to that. We're going to listen to Chris Tomlin sing I Stand in Awe. When I consider what you have made The mighty oceans, the fiery stars The fields and forests give you
beautiful song, a Chris Tomlin song featuring Nicole Serrano. Now, Samuel, you're talking about the intrinsic value of life. Yes. Um, and so we're going to sort of wrap that up yep. towards the end of this program. And so look at, look at what I'm saying here is to say that the Christian worldview does not say that your life's worth is instrumental and therefore it's built on whatever quality of life you can build, mm. which depends on the quality of your happiness. Okay, the quality of your happiness. So that if you are not happy and the happiness is a consequence of external conditions, your interaction with the world, whether you own property or you've lost your properties or whether people accept you, whether you've lost your loved ones untimely, and then you start to think, well, now that they're no longer here, my life is not worth anything because I'm no longer happy because they are absent. I'm missing them, therefore I'm no longer happy. So it's this instrumental quality of life sort of driven whatever quality of life is whatever makes me happy whereas the biblical worldview is very different the biblical worldview is that the value and the worth of human beings is intrinsic because it was set in human beings by their creator the way the American constitution frames it even our human rights Uh, you know, the UN Human Rights Charter says that all men and women, of course, were created equal. Because if that value of equality is not set outside humans, some humans will be able to decide whether other humans think they are valuable or not. And they do. People like Hitler did. You know, there was a gentleman in Uganda, I think Uganda, one of African countries, called Bokasa. Bokasa determined that people who, who lived with handicap were useless, so useless, so valueless. And so because he was powerful, then he determined these people were useless. And then, as though he was the one conferring value to people, and guess what? He took and he basically killed a lot of people who were living with handicap. We, we, how about Hitler did that? We think, oh, we're different. But how about us? We're still doing that. We're determining right now who is human and who is not, at least from birth, from conception to... to, to uh, you know, and, uh, we, we, we're doing it. We're not... Yeah. We, we might get on our high horse and think about, we, we're different. Oh, no, no, we and, are and we're not. Also, we're also deciding on gender. If, if you don't want a girl and you're yes, a girl, you get rid of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is if it's instrumental value, it is now determined by external you know, other people. Mm. But the biblical worldview say, and God said, let's make man in our image, in our resemblance. And in the image of God, he made them, male and female. So they have the image of God. They are the image bearer of God. Mm. So whether they are on the street, whether they have no property, whether their clothes are stinking and they're living in the dirt and someone else over there has got a million dollars and is all cologne and aftershave and smelling nice, that external stuff doesn't change the intrinsic worthiness of human beings. Mm. I can't emphasize this enough. We have walked away from this. Mm. Whether they draw crowds, whether they have, you know, thousands of followers on TikTok or not, whether people like their posting on Facebook or Instagram, whether their nose is longer or shorter, whether they've got blue eyes and blonde hair or not, that is irrelevant. Every human being was conferred by God is on image. Yeah. 
And because of that, this is why anyone who understands deeply this Christian concept of life will treat every single one equally. Apostle James started to rebuke the Christians of his days. He said to them, when people come into your churches, in your congregation, you take people who are well-to-do, wealthy people, you put them in first places. That's what you're doing. And he's like, that is not the true religion. That is not the religion. The true religion is that you ought to look at everybody the same way. Mm. They are image bearer of Jesus said this this conversation with with the, with the, um, with the um, um, you know uh, the Pharisees and, and I like you know one of my heroes still he is uh, Ravi is, used to say this 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 these people come to Jesus and they and, and they said oh should we pay tax and Jesus said well look, give me a denarius they give me a denarius and he looks at this as whose whose image is on it. And they said, well, it's Caesar's. And then he said them, give unto Caesar's. What is Caesar's? It's Caesar's. It's Caesar's yeah. And, 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 and Ravi used to say, they, they didn't wait there to ask, okay, then whose image are we? Then he would have said, you're the image of God. You should therefore give yourself to God. Mm. You give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. And they should have asked, which, which is God's? He would say, you, you are the image bearer. So let God determine your worth. And your value, not our secular humanist society. If you notice over, uh, as we, 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 we espoused secular humanism, so the, the rate of our, our depression in younger people, the more we've rejected the idea of God, we are sort of, you know, more far evolved now when we are, you know, a lot more knowledgeable. We are scientific people. You're as though the person who believes in God can't be scientific. And so because of that, the rate of depression, the rate of even these t- tragic events have continued to increase in mm. our society. So we are God's image. That is the profound thing that we have to let sit there and settle in. Let me give you an example so you understand how when image is conferred by high authority. See, if I pull out, out of my pocket a $100 Australian dollar bill, mm. and, and I said to you, what is this? You say a $100 Australian dollar bill. What if I scrunched it and scrunched it and put it on the, on the floor and walk on it? And I pull it down and say, what's this? You still said to me, say, Australian $100 bill. What if I chucked it in the toilet mm. and then pull it out? I mean, it's got some sewage on it. And I ask, what is this? You might say, it's a hundred Australian dollar, but then it's got some dirt on it. Got to clean it up. <laughs> Do you see what you've said? You yeah. haven't said, no, it's a useless piece of paper that is worthless. No, no. you know, it's still a nosy $100. Why? Because neither you nor me, no one conferred the worth of that piece of paper but the government. Yeah. Higher authority than you and me. Mm. So when God, higher authority than human, confers human worth to humans, then it doesn't matter whether they are in the dirt or they, are, they have no followers, whether they are alone, human beings are image, God image bearer. Now, if you, if you let this sink in for a moment, then you will say, if I'm the image bearer of God, how does what determines my worth then determines my purpose? The purpose is not just simply the pursuit of my self-relative determined happiness. It is to find the purpose for which God makes humans. Yeah. Right. And that becomes that which we pursue. And because he's the one who has put value on humans, human life is the only one who can move, shift the human life from one realm to another? So let me leave you with this thought for a moment as we're closing. Before we, we start to talk about end of life, uh, life ends when God himself shifts people from one realm to, to another. another. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about yeah, 
when we come Sunday. So that's how we have, even when, you know, life and, you know, what we call accidentally and stuff like that, I can draw to from the sovereignty of God to say, overall, God is still sovereign over the affairs of man. But God is the giver of life, is the one who gives value to life, and is the only one who can shift life from one realm to another. Do you, do you notice what I say there? Because if you're secular humanism, you think the only life there is is this one. Yeah. There's no life after that. Mm. And so, but if you are a Bible believer, you know that life, there's one here and one the other side. And that's, that changes everything. It does. Okay. So we will come back to this discussion. Yeah. Well, it is a huge, it is a huge subject mm. and uh, obviously why we need a, a couple of weeks to go over it. So if, um, if anyone has, uh, has, this has stirred up some emotions for you. Um, we'll just remind you that Life 105.1 has a care line. And if you want to give uh, someone a call and have a talk, please ring 5407-2044. So that's 5407-2044 and someone will talk to you. Thank you very much, Samuel, for uh, mm. opening that up for us today. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to, um, to uh, listening again next week.